This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to provide our listeners with some really good information, so the real facts, the real stats about our local market. And the benefit that we have is that we have so many different members, all with different opinions, all with different viewpoints. Um, and we also have what we call affiliates, which would be our lenders, our title companies, uh, the, the, those people that are affiliated with the realtors in the, in the market, maybe not so much a realtor themselves. And that is what we are providing for you today, uh, uh, a very knowledgeable person. I've known her for many, many years in the business, although she's still young. <laughs> I don't know Gosh, about I that. I made you sound old there, Melissa. Uh, okay, and that is Melissa Browning of Lending Concepts. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and um, I'm excited because I didn't have to drag you in here. A couple of months ago, you said, you know, I think I'd really like to get on the schedule. So that that was great. I am. I'm excited to be here. So I don't know if you remember, but years ago you had said... I'd like to have you on, and it was on my long-term to-do list of things that, like, I wanted to make sure I did. And so, anyways, I saw you, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. So I'm excited to be here. And I remember you saw me. I was driving down the street, drinking coffee, and you were looking out your window, and you saw me drive by. <laughs> That's when you decided to call. <laughs> that, yeah. that was funny. Um, but I'm really happy to have you here because for one you started in the lending business as a processor i believe uh yeah i actually first started out as a notary public um specializing in loan signings and then so i would go and sign people up on their loan documents when they'd get ready to close and then i got connected with the lender and started processing mm -hmm. but you also have a really good um pedigree in, in real estate your mom and your dad. Tell us and, about that. Yeah, so my mom was an escrow officer. Um, seasoned escrow officer over 30 years in the business. And my dad was a real estate agent as well over 13 or 15 years. And my sister actually um, is a real estate agent as well in Sacramento. So oh. I definitely grew up in the business. And so that's why when I was, you know, started young. And so even though you say I'm, even though you say I'm, still young. I started out at 19 and being 39, I've been in the business for so long, but my family was a part of it for so long. I could just imagine family dinners, Thanksgiving dinner. You guys were probably talking escrows and r interest rates and constantly our Sunday nights when my sister and I were young enough to still go home for Sunday dinners, but old enough to be living on our own. We'd go back and have dinner with our family and it would always be around my sister's transactions or something going on with my processing escrow ones we're doing together. So yeah, but now we have more, you know, family oriented conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like your dad couldn't get enough of that 
with the family dinners, he would tune in every Saturday to Welcome Home Radio. And for the longest time, he was my biggest critic. <laughs> As he's sitting here listening now. Yeah, I'm sure he's, he's got a smile on his face. But yeah, he loves to give you a hard time. Boy, that is for sure. He loves to give anybody a hard time, quite honestly. Yeah, except yeah. no, for me. I don't feel special, not at all. <laughs> well, you should. You get you get a little bit of extra extra love from him. <laughs> all right. Well, and, and to honor your dad today, we have some special intro music for him. I, I remember he called me one time after the show. He goes, "You know, it was a really good show today, but you got to get rid of that John Denver music." <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's what we'll be having today. Everybody can look forward to it. Okay, so you've been in the business 20 years, so that would put you back 2002, mm -hmm. thereabouts. Um, we've had some tremendous market shifts in those last 20 years. Yeah. What is your, I'd love to hear your take on today's mortgage market overview. Maybe compare our market today with what it was five years ago, uh, 15 years ago? So if I was to say, in my opinion, what the mortgage overview would have been 15 to five to now, in all honesty, people feel it's pretty volatile. But I think the the scare of what always is, is coming is never as big as the impact. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, interest rates are going up and people are concerned about the market in general but quite honestly rates were significantly lower than what they usually were for the past two years so when you ask me what it was like five years ago i think that interest rates were um not as high as they are now but closer to what they were i think we were starting to see price points going up i think that there was a a lot of people out there buying, but it was a more, um, it was an easier market, but the rates as far as, you know, people pre-approving and, and interest rates, because most of the time when people are asking me that question, it's usually geared towards rates and impact. Um, the rates and where they were, were pretty close. Like I said, they're, they're a little bit higher now, but they were pretty close to where they were now. And that's why it's interesting because people are like, oh my goodness, rates have gone up so much. But it's like, I, I, I don't know if you've been to one of the meetings that I do where um, I, I do a comparison and I'll say a year ago, interest rates were here and five years ago, they were here. So when you ask me that question and not having done it recently, but when I look at, oh, you know, Two years ago, I looked at what rates were four years ago. It's never been a huge difference. And like I said, the only reason we're seeing the impact now is because the rates were so low momentarily that we're seeing them close to where they were now. And it's concerning for people, but really it's back to where they were for the most part. And I got to give you credit, Melissa Browning. You just made a statement that I wrote down. And it's like, I, I'm going to build off of this. One. I saw that and my heart started pumping because I was like, is this <laughs> good or bad? You saw that look in my face like, oh, hey, we're on to something here. You said the fear of what's coming. That has been the story of real estate for the 46 years that I've been in it. Same. Same. Yeah. I remember, let, let's go back to 2010. 12 years ago, 
there's a tsunami of foreclosures coming out. Well, that little ripple wave, I don't want to call it a little ripple wave. I mean, there were foreclosures at the time. Um, but it, the fear was that this, we were going to get totally destroyed. Well, yeah, and it, it really thrived the, the first-time buyer market, right? Like, I actually, when I started processing and getting into loans, it was right before the quote-unquote crash and, you know, uh, foreclosures and all that. So what I was training under was the market of foreclosures and what was happening and losing all the no-income, no-asset. I had just learned those type of products, and they were all gone. So that was when I was actually kind of getting in and starting. And so the point on that is because it is, everybody says like when COVID hit, everybody's sitting back saying, what's that going to do? And I remember for a moment, people, the banks weren't funding loans and we're like, it's about to explode. Two days later, everything's fine. Rates are low again. Same with foreclosures. People found their niche, right? So what did it turn to? Well, I was able to buy my first home. Why? Because the banks were giving me a large credit. They were repairing the houses and I went and bought myself a nice little foreclosure. So the the thing with real estate is, and, and it's been same for me, right? This year is an unknown and I sit thinking, this is this may be the first time I see something I haven't seen before, but I think everything always, it's an ebb and flow and everything will always kind of teeter and control itself. Mm-hmm. I really love this topic, fear, because especially with social media the last few years, um, there's so many experts that, and they might be in Michigan, mm -hmm. but it, you know, it, that, that it travels all the way over here and it creates fear of what's there. And I go back to one of the very first rental homes I bought over 40 years ago. I remember people instilling fear in me oh man, that was a bad purchase. You know, you're buying at the top of the market. You, you know that, that that house will probably fall apart in a few years because it's not a very good builder. Do you, you know, this and that. Well, today that house, it, I, I bought it for $44,000. Wow. I probably paid a little too much. <laughs> Maybe it was worth 43. What well, do you think it's worth now? Easily 370. Yeah, yeah. And I still have it, and it's never fallen apart, and uh, all is good. Well, yeah, and I mean, look at the, again, I bought my first home in the foreclosure market. It was a foreclosure, and I got it for 155000 I was a young, I was 26 years old, you know, my first house, and, and um, it was, you know, that was when it, the house was a mess because people were kind of vandalizing at that time, and and everything but jumping into it when I was buying of course prices were so low and talking about fear people saying this is not the time to be buying all this sort of thing but again it always evens itself out the thing is is real estate is pretty much what controls everything right like and so it all filters down so there has to be some sort of shift. I talk about this with my husband all the time because we, I don't know if you hear a lot, but everybody thinks that, or there's the fear of a housing crash, right? And so I told him, 
I don't see a crash happening. There's nothing there that I can, I can foresee, right? There, there's things that we're not used to that are happening, but there's always got to be some sort of stabilization. And in the 46 years or the 20 plus years I've done it, it goes from a buyer's market to a seller's market. But as things, as inflation happens and as economies tend to move on, what we're seeing now is is what the the seller's market is, is not just maybe not giving a buyer's credit. A seller's market is now getting more than what the house is worth, right? And so something's got to get corrected there. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that rolls in. So, and I also want to add that at the time I bought that house for 44000 I got a smoking hot deal on the loan, twelve and a half percent. Oh, ouch! <laughs> and with that note, we will go to our first commercial break. But stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, nine forty KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio, we have Melissa Browning of Lending Concepts. Been in the lending business 20 years or so. And um, we were just talking about a kind of a general overview of the mortgage market. Um, but now I want to get into some of the details of it. Um, and also, one of my favorite subjects is credit myths. So, and maybe this goes back to what you brought up in the first segment about fear. Mm. Maybe that's where these myths come around. Um, talk, let's talk about that. What are some of the more common ones that you have to address? Um, yeah, so to touch on first, I think the biggest thing to say about credit is, is um, we actually do credit repair. We don't send it to credit repair companies. Um, we just like to monitor monitor it ourselves and we kind of do things differently. So my point in saying that is um, I work a lot with clients that need credit repair. And one of the biggest misses is that they think it's way more work than it is. Usually when I'm looking at their report and I have recommendations for them, maybe three, four recommendations. So a lot of times people get um, nervous and overwhelmed to come in and apply for a mortgage because they think their credit's bad. And when it is bad, they think it's way worse and a lot harder to overcome than it is. So I think one of the biggest things that people need to walk away from is um, it's not as much as a gray area as people think. It's pretty black and white once you get a grip on it. And if you do get in over your head, it's not as hard to fix as people think. And with that said, most of the time when people have a low FICO score, the first thing they tell me is, I'm going to go pay all my credit cards off. And I'll tell them, don't do that. So if you're going to get any tips from me on credit, the first thing I would tell you is, is if you think that you don't have a great FICO score, what you want to do with any revolving credit cards, right? A revolving account means that you have a limit and you have the ability to spend as much on it as you want. With the revolving credit card, instead of paying it off, you want to pay it down. Because if you have a credit card that's maxed out 
if a max credit card's out there, then your FICO score is probably low because of it. If you go and pay that off, you've taken a negative line of credit and just basically eliminated it. If you take that line of credit and you have paid it down, now you've taken that negative line of credit, you've gotten it in the green, and you make payments from there, and now you have a positive line of credit to improve it. So if you pay it off, you don't really eliminate the negative credit. You just freeze it in history. You kind of stop it. Yeah, because yeah. it's not, a, it's not a, a line of credit that's flowing and moving. So I tell them, don't pay it off. I'm going to tell you to pay it down to 25% of the high credit limit, which is really conservative. If you're not trying to improve credit, then you really, I mean, realistically, most of the time people will tell you don't exceed 30%. But realistically, as an average person, you could live off of like, I would say, 50% of your of your credit limit. An example would be if you've got a $3,000 credit limit, mm -hmm. then you really want to keep the rolling balance at 300 or less. You know, all these stories are coming out about how rents are increasing. Uh, we see it in the news a lot now. So the people that rent homes for me, I've talked to each of them and said, why don't you buy a home? I'm encouraging them to improve themselves. Mostly what I'm getting is, oh, well, I have a lot of credit repair I got to do. And my first thought is, huh, because you pay your rent on time all the time. You're respectful. You're, you're intelligent. You know, maybe there is something on there, a medical bill that you got to pay off, but that's where getting help from a mortgage professional can can help out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, I can't stress enough, it's never as overwhelming and bad as they think it is. A uh, One last myth that I think is really important because you touched on it is again with collections. If I say your FICO score is low, they'll say, I'm going to go pay all my collections and I'll say, stop right there again. Because what happens is if, if somebody had collections after a year, they've recovered from the impact of that. So if somebody comes to me and they've got a collection that's still on their credit report, and if it's from two years ago, I'm going to say, let's get through the mortgage first. If that company's attempting to call and collect on that collection, we'll address it at that time. But we're only going to pay any sort of collections that are in the last year. Because after that, you've, you've gotten hit, the damage is done, and you've now recovered. So a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm going to go pay those collections. And I say, don't do those yet. Let me look at them. Let me see when they were last reported. And we'll go from there. Here's a comment I get from a lot of clients. They say, well, I really want to look into buying my first home um, maybe next year in 2023 my comment is good so let's get in now to see a mortgage lender and it's like this look of bewilderment is there why so early because you know why go ask for credit so early maybe you can answer that to make me look intelligent oh yeah um sound so, intelligent on yeah the radio which <laughs> you are there's a couple so one of the things, and I've tried to figure out a way to like describe it, but one of the things that somebody needs to know when they're buying a house is you've got to fill a lot of buckets. So you've got certain things that you need to meet with employment. Of course, assets have to be verified. And of course, you've got to meet the FICO score. But we also have to see what debt's on there. So somebody may 
think that they've got an issue with credit, but maybe they've only have one year of employment history and they didn't realize that you need two years of employment history. So the reason that you really want to get pre-approved as soon as you can is because you need to make sure that you're clear on every category. And again, you've got a clear employment. You have to do history and consistency. So you have to show that you have a history of employment and that continuance is going to be there as well. So sometimes, again, if somebody has maybe opened a new um, opened a new business and they've only filed one year of tax returns, hashed, or sidebar exceptions can be made Um they, they don't realize, well, you know, maybe you have to have two years of tax returns. And if credit repair comes up, if credit repair comes up, there are things sometimes that could be done as easy fixes. But most of the time, you're going to plan for three to six months if somebody's doing their, their work up front on credit repair. So along with that, you along with making sure that your credit's good, your assets are verified, and you're meeting all the requirements for income, you need that sort of time to make sure everything's okay. Yeah, and needing a little bit of time makes sense. So let's use your example of paying down credit cards. Well, I can't just go do that today. If I had it, I wouldn't have had it on an 18% credit card mm -hmm. <laughs> if I had the cash now. So it might take um, two months or six months to save up the money to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, specifically with credit repair and getting yourself in a position to purchase. If you need, yeah, you're going to plan for at least three to six months because you're going to have to pay debt down. And if we're talking about some of the collections I've mentioned, sometimes what I'll do is I'll tell that person they need to work directly with the company to get that deleted. You can have things deleted from your credit report, and in doing that, you can basically get your score restored. That can take some time, too, because you've got to get letters and there's other sort of paperwork. Um, so each one of those and gathering the paperwork could just take a little time within itself. Mm -hmm. and, and here's a tip I'd like to give people. So let's say you, you have a $1,500 a month rent payment right now, but you feel like you can afford a $2,000 a month mortgage. Start paying $2,000 now, $1,500 to the rent. Take the other $500 and save it for a down payment mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. save, or, you know, uh, put uh, apply it to credit cards to pay it down. But before you do that second thing about paying it to credit cards, speak with a mortgage professional who can coach you. I mean, oh, absolutely. Because... So that's another thing we talk about all the time. People are like, I'm not sure what I'll qualify for. Um, we use gross income. We don't use net. So a lot of times, and it's not every situation, but people are pleasantly surprised at what they get pre-approved for because we are getting you pre-approved off of what you're receiving before all the tax deductions. So we're oftentimes, we're using more of that income and if you basically just back out the debt, what's left is what your projected mortgage payment can be. Um, there's some calculation. I know that Don's going to bring up debt to income ratio and a little bit further down the road. But what you simply said, um, starting right off the bat, we use gross income. And so people more often than not, if they say, oh, my husband only has one year of employment history, I'm not sure if I can qualify with just my income. Everybody's situation is different, but a lot of times people are surprised because we do use gross income 
for qualification purposes. Okay, and when we get back from our next commercial break, in the next segment, I'd like to ask you about um, debt-to-income ratios, those income ratios. Also, time on the job. If you've only been on the job for six months, can you still qualify and under what circumstances? So stay tuned. Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back. Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we have here in the studio today Melissa Browning of Lending Concepts, a loan officer. Uh, you help people get into homes, whether it be their first home or their 10th home. Yeah, one of the greatest things I could do, right? What a job. Yeah. I try to remember that. Tell me the feeling that you get when you successfully help somebody. Well, I mean, if I'm being honest, nowadays it's so remote. I don't get that one-in-one that I used to. But when I was starting out, I'll never forget. That's why I said it the way I said it, because I think we all need to remember this is the biggest transaction anybody could do. What What's the one thing that everybody wants, right? The one goal they're pretty much looking for. They want to want to be a homeowner. So when I... When I worked more with clients, when things were direct one-on-one and more facts, right? So we were doing face-to-face. A good example is, is I'll think of a specific client. They were a young family. Um, They had two kids and they lived in a really bad area and they worked really hard and uh, saved a lot of money and they bought a house in Clovis and they wanted to put their kids in the Clovis school system and get them their own bedrooms. And they wanted to surprise them. So the kids had no idea. And they showed me a video of the kids once they found out that they were getting the house. And, and these, this family, they were going to be the first ones to do this, you know, and, and now they still reach out to me and they, they get advice for their family and friends. But to be able to have been a part of changing those kids future means everything you know there's there's people again credit repair i talked to somebody last year and they've been in the same house that they've been in and they they're giving advice to their friends on how to get their credit fixed and the how that feels you could get emotional you could get emotional because a lot of people out there mean well and want to do good for those people and to be a part of it and for them to trust you it's means a lot. Yeah. Even means more than the money that you made, huh? Oh, absolutely. Like I yeah. said, I think those people that I talk about, it's been a long time and I remember them by name. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to tell a story and this is probably 25 years ago, at least handed keys to a first time home buyer. And he goes, wow. Yeah. I can't believe it. He goes, I am the first person in my family to own a home. I go, well, good, congratulations. He goes, no, what I mean is my whole family, cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody, nobody has ever owned a home. I'm the first one. And I still remember that 25 years ago. It makes me feel good, makes me proud of the the job that I do um, and the help that I can give. And trust me, the commission is long spent 
paid taxes on it. It's gone. You know, the government spent their share. I spent my share. But that memory, that that feeling, still stays. So those people that think, oh, you you guys just do it for the commission, uh, uh-uh. do it for the the memories, the the feelings that you get. So, well, and being able to help people that may not get the attention that they. You know, there's times where clients will come to me and say, I never got a call back or, you know, so getting the people that didn't think they could do it. I mean, we could talk stories over and over, but the last one I want to mention, because you know him too, like a great example is Michael Wright. He came on the radio show, a VA buyer. I, I helped do his loan and he's a motivational speaker. I talk to him still. He's, he's a dad, but he went, he, he, he pridefully says he went from, you know, from homeless to homeowner. And um, again, I was honored to be a part of it. And he's now my friend and he was on this show. And I think that's the greatest example of, of what it means to be a part of it. I don't care how good we do today, Melissa. <laughs> we will not beat that one show. That was totally memorable. Oh, yeah. I uh, Like I said, I, I, I still talk to him and mm-hmm. and. Um, to have been placed in his life to be a part of it and to have been able to help goes back to what you were saying of what it means to help people with this job. I always say people I didn't I didn't grow up saying I wanted to be a loan officer. Right. Like I don't even know what kid would say they want to do that. My daughter's four no. and doesn't know. <laughs> She thinks I police loans because I'm called a loan officer, you know, whatever oh. that means. <laughs> but. When people ask me what I say is what we're describing. I what I get from it is 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 knowing that I've helped somebody, you know, that I've put them in a position, that I've given them information and guidance that they they can now share with their family, you know, like there's there's so much more to it, but that's the baseline. All right. And um that so these are you're a great example of a professional, a mortgage professional, because you're in it for the right reason. Um, it, but I do want to go on now, it, and let's get to what I promised we would talk about in this segment, Oh yeah, which yeah. is DTI, uh, time on the job. Let's start with time on the job. I, I think maybe a credit myth, uh, a mini myth, is that you have to be on your job two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it is a myth. I'll simplify it because that's a gray area. The staple rule is two years of employment in the same line of work, right? People say, okay, well, I've been in a mechanic. I was at one place for one year and I've just moved somewhere else, but I'm still a mechanic. You're fine there. If you are a nurse and you've just started at St. Agnes for the last six months and you come to me and apply for a loan and you say, Melissa, I've only been a nurse for six months. I'm going to say, did you attend schooling before that? And if they say, yes, I did, I'll say, perfect. That's our two-year employment history. So if you have to have a degree to be in your position, then your time attending college as a student can count towards your employment history. Other things, right? So if I may be a salary position and I've only been there a year and I don't have a two-year employment history, they may take that. If I'm an hourly full-time employee that all my pay stubs show 40 hours a week and I've been there over six months, they may make that. There's all these little details to it, but the most thing to take away from this 
exceptions can be made. It's not black and white that you have to have a two-year employment history or even that you have to be self-employed for two years. It's preferred, but there are ways around it and there's other ways to make the employment history. Okay, let's use the, I'm going to throw out an example and give me an answer here. So one spouse has been on the job 10 years, the other spouse five months. Um, how, how will that work? I mean, are they collectively out of luck? Well, if the spouse that's, my question would be, the person that's been on the job for five months, what's their job? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah, because that matters. That's why. Again, if they've been on the job for five months, my question would be, what's their position and how are they paid? If they're paid salary, then it looks like we're on the right track. If they're part-time hourly, then I'm going to tell you they need a year on the job. Okay. Um, how about compensating factors? I, I remember a case a long time ago. I'm telling a guy, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do this because he'd been short time on the job, um, didn't and, and didn't have a great income. What I didn't realize, because I hadn't got to that part of it yet, um, the guy had like sixty percent down payment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of a little slight overlook on my part. <laughs> so compensating factors are going to be what is a strength to your file where you may have something that's not as strong. So in your situation and the example you're talking about, when they had that large amount down, what a compensating factor is is specifically a statement of what we call reserves. And people don't usually know what reserves are. What reserves are is saying, I have three, six, nine, 12 months of mortgage payments saved in my savings account, and I'm gonna show them to you. So I realize that maybe I'm really pushing it on this monthly payment on this house and my ratios are high, but you can see that I've got 12 months or six months or three months of mortgage payments saved up. And also, if you're putting a larger amount down and maybe have a middle FICO score, those tend to be ones where large amount down is a compensating factor. So therefore, it might get approved that way. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, is an exception can't, a larger down payment doesn't override a staple rule on employment but it does help strengthen the file overall. You still have to meet each bucket and each guideline, but when, when there's things that are gray and when things are, are a little bit uh, maybe out of the box, when you have a strength, it does help. Okay, let's talk DTI. Tell us what DTI means. Debt to income ratio. That's basically where everything starts off of. Um, simply said, if you remember, I said we use gross income. You're gonna take your gross income, you're gonna take that and you're gonna times it by 40 to 50%. You deduct your debts that are on the credit report and what's left over is what your potential mortgage payment is. Okay, so if somebody had $5,000 a month income you're not going to qualify them for a $4,000 a month payment. Right. But, okay. What is the maximum DTI? So that's going to vary on loan product. Um, 
the the two loan products that are the most popular are conventional or FHA. So the max DTI debt to income ratio on a conventional loan, we usually work within 43 to 49% on conventional. With FHA, again, we work within 43, but you can go as high as 53% on FHA. So a lot of times if somebody's really trying to push their purchase price and maybe we couldn't use the spouse's income because she was only on the job five months and we're qualifying them with just one income, but there is really two incomes and we need to push the ratios, we might do an FHA loan. Okay. How long has FHA had that 43 to 53%, probably as long as you remember? Yeah, for a really long time. Okay, I just attended a uh, city council meeting where they were saying that a certain percentage of our citizens here are rent burdened because they're uh, they're considered rent burden over 30%. Yeah, that's insane. There's no place that we work a calculation off of. <laughs> if somebody's on a 30% DTI, like, Fantastic. Most of the time, I mean, 43 is usually as low as we go. So the group that gave this information to our city council, about 30, over 30%, your rent burdened. They're a little far removed from, yeah, the main From part. reality? Yeah, just like when the rules get implemented with, you know, different compliances that are supposed to make the situation easier and it ends up with five more pieces of paper and because they really are too far removed from what's going on and they're not making it easy. Right. And, and I know you've only been in the business 20 years, mm -hmm. but when I go back to the 1980s, that 43% was still there. Yeah. So where they came up with 30%, I don't know, but with that thought in your mind, we are going to our next commercial break. <laughs> Stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio we have a loan off local loan officer, um, Melissa Browning of Lending Concepts. When I said the word local, it made me think I need to ask you this. What, uh, what can you offer to a local client being your local that maybe they can't get on a online portal with somebody who's back in Michigan? Oh, I could go off on a tangent. I'll try to I'll try to list the most important. Um, Be polite, though. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the things is, is you know, the way we, the way any lender is going to do their service. If you're, if you're using a larger bank, they, uh, you don't have a direct point of contact, and you tend to get moved down the assembly line, and that's where things get complicated. That's where people feel like they've given things over and over. That's where they start going over timelines. So when you're working with a local lender we've got your file all the way through. We have our team and we've got everybody that's doing stuff, but you're coming to me every time. I'm going to the investors for you. I'm taking those battles on. If I've sent, if you've sent something multiple times, I'm going on behind the scenes and doing it for you. Aside from the reputation and having, you know, uh, reputations with agents and um, relationships, you're handled with care and you've got one direct contact that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And there's always that opportunity to see them. And, and I'm going to use Priceline 
as as an example. Um, I recently did a lot of traveling and, and um, went on Priceline to get my hotel rooms. And sometimes I messed up, didn't get such a good room. And But, you know, that was one night. That was 24 hours of my life that I had to suffer the consequences of a poor choice based on money. <laughs> I shouldn't yeah. have gone so cheap, right? That's what you're thinking. Oh, but, I'm just laughing because I have a, a story where we ended up in a hotel and it was not what I expected either. And it was right. only one night. But if it's local, you're dealing locally, you get to see um, see the people. You, you get to talk to them. If something's not right, they, they can correct it for you. Well, and they're controlling the process. They're doing it in a clean, organized way. Um, there's oftentimes we have to take over a loan from a larger bank because it's not going right. I have a lot of examples, but one to kind of show how fragile it can be when things are all remote and and things are processing through. Um, I won't say it because I don't know if we can, but they weren't able to do the loan because this was a, a property that was just on a ranch, just acreage. And they weren't familiar with the Central Valley. And so they wouldn't finance on it because they considered it to be an ag area. And it was an ag, a simple prelim, a simple getting the appraisal. And it was an, it was no problem at all. But when a borrower runs into a problem where it's just it is what it is and you don't have somebody to dive in and just do a little bit of research real quick to fix the problem, you, that's when you can run into those things because they don't have the experience and they don't have the knowledge that you have with a lender. You just have a regular employee that's passing paperwork back and forth. They're not licensed the same way. They don't have the education the same as we do. And that's when you give them something and then five days they come back and say, oh, no, this isn't acceptable. You say, why didn't you tell me that when I gave it to you? Mm -hmm. They don't have the same information. Yeah. But I also want to point out the accountability part, too. I still remember the time when a loan officer really messed up bad. And when, you know, I saw him at the gas station the next day. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, what happened? <laughs> and, and, and there was an accountability there. It, it, if that would have been somebody from across Michigan, then... Um, Not as much sweat in the game. Yeah, we have yeah. a reputation here and... We want to do good service. We want to make sure that people say, "Oh, I've seen this pre-approval. I like working with her. I wanted to. I want this offer is going to go to the top because I know this loan's going to be good." Yeah, not to mention you're keeping your money local. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. But speaking of keeping your money local, I want to now talk about a thing called mortgage insurance premium (MIP). Tell us about that. So what mortgage insurance is, is it's basically an additional insurance to protect the loan um, for if you were to, if the consumer is to default on the loan itself. So people are confused because you've got hazard insurance, which protects the home, and then they're not sure what the mortgage insurance does. So if you're not putting at least 20% down, then the investors consider that to be a riskier loan. And because of that, they place an additional insurance on it that's called mortgage insurance that protects their loan. 
So if you've got a 3% down uh, first time home buyer, your mortgage insurance is going to be a little higher. 5% is going to be a little bit less than the 3%. 10% mortgage insurance is going to be a little less than the 5% and so on and so forth. And it goes in brackets, right? So if you had 17%, Exactly. It's and it's like based 10%. on right. And so on a conventional loan, it's based on down payment and it's also based on FICO score. And once you get 20 percent equity in the home where, where it can gain, it doesn't have to be natural progression when you get as values continue to go up. Once you have 20% equity in the home, you can ask to have the mortgage insurance removed from the loan. What What's involved in that process to get it removed? You call the bank that is holding your loan that you make your mortgage payments to, and you ask them for a list of approved appraisers. They'll give you a list of the appraisers that they'll approve. The, you call an appraiser, they'll go out, supply you with an appraisal. You give that to the bank showing that you have the value and they'll remove the mortgage insurance. Can you do that one month after you close the escrow, the initial escrow, or, or is there a time period? There is a time limit of two years, but that's going to be case by case. Wow. Just prepare for two years. They really want you to hold the mortgage insurance for two years. But there are times that there's been, I had a client, they had to wait the two years. There's been other times they could get it removed before. So that's really going to depend on who's holding the mortgage insurance. On okay. an FHA loan, it never goes away. Oh, okay. So FHA is different. Mm -hmm. That mortgage insurance stays for the entire 30 years or until you pay it off. Exactly. So with a conventional loan, the mortgage insurance will go away at some point. With an FHA loan, no matter how long you've had the loan and how much equity is in the home, there's no way to get rid of the mortgage insurance. And the only way to do it would be to, con to refinance it into a conventional loan and eliminate the mortgage insurance that way. Uh, about how much is FHA mortgage insurance. So in other words, if I had a 3% FHA interest rate, but I have mortgage insurance on it, what is that like a 4%? Well, no, it's, um, it's actually a percentage based off the loan amount. So I'll tell it to you in like an actual number. If you're looking at like a price point of like three to 400,000, your mortgage insurance is going to be like 150 to $260 a month. Mm-hmm. All right. I would like to ask you this because we only, only have about a minute left. What's your best advice that you can give to our listeners out there uh, um, about real estate? Best advice about real estate. Oh, this is a stumper every week. <laughs> oh, so I'm not the only person you ask it to? The, this is kind of like your staple question. Okay, my best advice on real estate is be conservative and go slow and make sure you're comfortable with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think people sometimes get into things too fast and I think they want what want. And I think it's really important to know the loan that you're getting into, get comfortable with your payment and know that that's the house you want to be in. All right. Well, Melissa Browning of Lending Concepts, I'd like to thank you for coming in today. You did a great job. Can't believe you were nervous. I had a great time. That was fun. What a way to spend the morning. I'll be back next Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, thank you to all our listeners. Hope you have the same feelings that Melissa has, and you'll be back next Friday, too. Or Saturday, excuse me. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you to all our listeners, and we will be back next Saturday morning, 9 to 10 on Welcome Home Radio.